The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The sermon text for today is Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. Again, that's Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Good morning. My name is Ben Catterson. I have the great privilege of serving middle schoolers and families on this campus. It's my joy to do so. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. The horses made ready for the day of battle, but victory is yours. David was made ready for the day of Goliath. Elijah was made ready for the day of the mountain. Victory is yours. We have victory in Christ, Father. And so we ask that You would come and get the victory today. Work through me. Work through Your Word and get glory for Your name. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The main point this morning in Philippians 1 12 through 18a. I'm just going to jump right in here. The main point of this text is we can rejoice no matter what when the advance of the gospel is our priority. This text combines two great realities and uses one to serve the other. The first reality our joy should be in the advance of the gospel no matter what. Paul rejoices in the advance of the gospel. No matter the circumstances, his joy is found in something so much greater. This joy has two great pillars. The glorious gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior, pillar one. Pillar two, the movement of that news throughout the world. That is where Paul's joy is that the world hears the message about the snake crusher, the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice, the mediator between God and man. That is where my joy should be, but I don't know if that is where my joy has been. I can be so caught up in my circumstances that it seems hard to take joy like Paul does. The second reality, which supports the first, is this. In the advance of this great gospel, God even uses obstacles. God is not bound by human success 
or failure. He is not bound by human opposition or support. God is not bound. He is sovereign. He has a great mission that He will see through to make His glory known through His Son, Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth. And there is nothing that can stand in His way. He not only ordains that obstacles come, but uses them to advance the gospel. Have I been seeing my life the way Paul does? Have I been caught up in the difficulties of my circumstances? Or is my heart rejoicing because no matter what, my priority is the gospel? So my aim this morning is that we would see Paul's overriding passion for the advance of the gospel and be set free to rejoice ourselves. That's my aim. And here are the three main points that we're looking at this morning. Point one, the advance of the gospel through imprisonment. That's verse 12 through 14. The advance of the gospel through imprisonment. Point two, the advance of the gospel for different reasons. That's verse 15 through 17. And point three, the advance of the gospel is Paul's joy. Verse 18. So point one, the advance of the gospel through imprisonment. Let's read verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As soon as we read, I want you to know, we should connect to last week's text. In verse 9 through 11, Paul prayed that the Philippians would have a love tethered to truth. Here in verse 12, Paul says, it's important, Philippians, Brothers and sisters, that you know the truth about my circumstances. What truth? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul opens with fantastic news. Know this, brothers, sisters, my circumstances are advancing the gospel. It's a praise report. What circumstances, Paul? Did you get a good job? Did you get an all-clear diagnosis from your doctor? Did your kids get into a good quality university? What circumstances? We know Paul is in a Roman prison. And the word really or rather serves to surprise or show something unexpected. Prison is supposed to shut people up, not advance a cause. Prison shuts people down. Nope, says Paul my circumstances rather have served to advance the gospel. The message that Jesus Christ died to save sinners has advanced in my conditions. And the word so that in verse 13 indicates results. So here are two results or outcomes of the advance of the gospel showing that God uses obstacles, the obstacle of prison to advance the gospel. Result one, my chains advance the gospel with the guards. Read verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard, praetorium, can refer either to a location of a Roman governor 
or a set of guards used at that location. In prison, the gospel has gone forth from Paul like leaven. The knowledge that Paul is in prison for Christ has seeped into the guard, even into all the rest, whoever they are. Paul's location, prison, has served as a gateway for gospel exposure to the guards and others. Hey, uh, did you hear about that prisoner we have? Yeah, everyone's talking about him. Crazy. He thinks the Messiah's come. Consider who God has placed in your sphere of influence, perhaps as a captive audience for the gospel as you walk a path of suffering with the hope of Christ. Hey, did you hear about that new neighbor we have? Yeah, can't get a word out of his mouth without saying something about Jesus. Hey, did you hear about that cancer patient down the hall? She keeps saying cancer is not why she's here. Result two, my chains advance the gospel through the brothers. The second result of Paul's imprisonment is the brothers are bold. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's chains have wrought confidence in the brothers. Let's follow the progression here. Paul is in prison for the gospel, which works confidence in the brothers, which bears fruit in bold, fearless speaking of the word. That word imprisonment is the Greek word chains or desmus, and so throughout the letter. And these chains are the tool God used to bring the gospel to the whole guard and to all the rest and to embolden the brothers. How does that work? That Paul's chains work boldness in the brothers. It happens because Paul's message, what he says, is authenticated, seen as true, through suffering. In the world, prosperity authenticates a message. But with God's people, the word that they speak is frequently known to be true by their suffering, by their chains. They look like Christ in the world. Paul is on a path that Jesus walked. Whoever would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, his chains, and follow me. Several years back, I saw my neighbor in his yard. Hey, I was on Facebook, he says. I'm so sorry for your loss. We had had a miscarriage. I said, I don't know what the world does without a Savior, a powerful Savior. He said, I see that. My, my message, what I was saying, was authenticated by the heaviness in my heart, by the suffering in the moment. A word to unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever here, don't look necessarily at the success of believers. Are they walking in the steps of Christ Jesus, especially in suffering? Let that authenticate what they say. Now, Paul is not a masochist. 
He does not love situations of great pain. Neither is He merely looking through rose-colored glasses. It's all okay. Just keep a stiff upper lip. Always look on the bright side of life. At least I have my health. Rather, Paul has his joy fixed someplace else. Like Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Paul can endure chains because he rejoices in something else. This becomes very evident when we look down at verse 18 in a few moments. The word much more in verse 14 is parasoteros. It means superabundant. In other letters, Paul puts it next to words like zeal and earnestness and eagerness. This is a passion type word. Philippians, my chains, the raw chafing wounds on my wrists and ankles, the bruises on my face from the guard who resents having to be here with me, they have wrought in the brothers and sisters in Rome gospel boldness. Rather than shutting up the gospel, shutting down my witness, and slamming the door in the face of the church, these chains have served the advance of the gospel. These bold brothers and sisters, however, advance the gospel for very different reasons. Here's point two. The advance of the gospel for different reasons. This is verse 15 through 17. In these verses, Paul shows two groups of brothers who speak the gospel, but for very different reasons. Let's read 15 through 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Some of these brothers, says Paul, are bold to preach Christ because of my imprisonment out of love. Others are bold to preach Christ to build a personal platform and attack me. Both advance the gospel. The loving brothers. Let's look at the second group first. This group preaches Christ, verse 15, from goodwill or willingly. Christ has their will. They are servants of Christ like Paul and Timothy in verse 1. Look at verse 16. These brothers, they know who puts all people in their circumstances. And two, that knowledge inflames their love so that they advance the gospel. So these brothers, one, they know God's sovereignty. These brothers, willing, uh, these willing brothers know that God put Paul in prison. They know who does all things. They know whose hand orders the galaxies. They know God's sovereignty over every dust particle, blue whale, prison chain, pen, and sword. They preach Christ out of love, knowing God put Paul there for the defense of the gospel. Bethlehem 
We know who orders all things. We know who put you at your address in your situation. Let's remember to receive what He has given. Acknowledge His mighty hand in your circumstances, even in a sickbed or a volatile situation, or wealth and ease. These brothers advance the gospel out of love. These brothers have a love informed and inflamed by Paul's situation. Paul, we get that God put you there for the defense of the gospel. We love you. So we will use our freedom out here to preach Christ. They love Christ. They love the gospel and they love Paul. You didn't just end up in prison, Paul. You were put there for that which we love. Paul prayed for the Philippians in verse 9 through 11 that their love would abound this way. Now let's consider the other group in verse 15 and 17. These guys make you scratch your head. What are they doing? It says that they preach Christ from envy and rivalry. In verse 17, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition and insincerity in order to afflict Paul. Well, let's notice three things. These brothers are believing brothers. Two, they have selfish motivations. Three, they advance the gospel. So these selfish brothers, or here are three main reasons why I think these guys are believers. The first, and the first two are related here, um, up in verse 14, Paul says, most of the brothers are responding in boldness this way. But there's a subset of brothers. This is a subset of the believing brothers. Likewise, in verse 15, Paul says, some indeed, as far as I can tell, this some is some of the believing born-again brothers. It's important because it helps us understand what's going on here. Some of the brothers are using the gospel this way. A third reason that these guys are believers, I think, is that in verse 15, this subset preaches Christ. And in verse 17, they proclaim Christ. And Paul takes no exception with their message. They're getting the message right, although through wrong motives. In verse 15, these brothers are described, and Ben Catterson pauses and checks his own spirit. These brothers are envious. Paul, we have something, you have something we don't, and I want it. Maybe it's status, maybe it's leadership, maybe influence. Rivalry. Paul, it's me against you. You've got something I want, and I'm against you. Verse 17, selfish ambition. My main goal is about me and my name, my platform, my reputation. Insincerity. They're disingenuous. They're preaching not purely. There's a a lie in the heart. And what do they want to do? 
Kick Paul while he's down. You're in prison? We want to make it worse for you. A commentator named Kent Hughes says, these men are not anti-Christ, but anti-Paul. Petty, territorial, self calculating, self-promoting. They actually preach Christ with the hope that it would rub salt into Paul's wounds. So why doesn't he stop them? Why doesn't he say something like he did to the Galatians? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Or even later on in chapter 3 of Philippians, beware of the dogs, he says, of the, of the, of the Judaizers. Well, here's why. For point three about these guys. Verse 15, they preach Christ. Verse 17, they proclaim Christ. The message is right. Paul has nuance. Heavens above does he have nuance. If the gospel itself is tainted in any way, he opposes it. Let him be accursed, he says, of those who preach the wrong gospel in Galatians. He says it twice. But here, brothers with bad motives are speaking the true gospel, attacking Paul. He lets him go. He has a place for right words and wrong motives. Earlier earlier we said that God frequently uses suffering to authenticate a believer's message. Here we have brothers and possibly sisters with the right message and the wrong motive. God in His sovereignty still uses sinful men and women to accomplish His purposes. A caveat. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Coming up in a few weeks, Paul will say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do it that way, Philippians. Paul does not endorse preaching that way, but that's not his point here. They're attacking Paul, but preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's joy is in the advance of the gospel, not his circumstance. Paul is making the point that there are brothers who preach Christ from wrong motives. So, so I want to be careful here. What do we do with prosperity preachers, disqualified preachers, leaders who have made a shipwreck of their faith? I don't want to encourage us to follow them. I want to be careful. But I do want to say, bless the Lord for His work through a broken vessel. As long as it was a true word. Let's step back a minute and see where we are in the the landscape here. God uses Paul's circumstances to advance the gospel. Chains meant to restrict and confine Paul have served to make Christ known to the whole guard, to embolden the brothers, to advance the gospel. God even uses self-promoting brothers to advance the gospel. Here's the, main, uh, the, the third main point. The advance of the gospel is Paul's joy. Verse 18. Let's read it. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, 
I rejoice. I see Paul saying this with the broadest smile, like a sunrise on his face, even as the tears fall from his eyes because of these brothers and the wounds from his chains. Paul is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What then is like saying? To what result? What's the upshot here? My joy, says Paul, is that Christ is proclaimed, pretense or in truth. I love Jesus and His glorious Gospel. My life revolves around Him and what He has done for me. And if He decides to use my chains on my wrist to the advance of the Gospel, the Gospel's advanced. I rejoice. If, God's good, if it's God's good pleasure to use petty, territorial, calculating, self-promoting ben, men like Ben has been in preaching the Gospel, it's His sovereign right. I rejoice says Paul, my passion, the overriding priority and craving of my heart is that the gospel advance in the world. My afflictions are far secondary. Jesus, in His mercy, saved Paul. Do you remember on the road to Damascus? He was persecuting the church. And now, says Paul, now says Paul, coming up in chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is a man of one passion, not comfort. One thing, the advance of the gospel, the glorious name of Jesus. Do you see how the one reality serves the other? God uses my circumstances to advance the gospel. And therefore, I rejoice because that's what I love. I rejoice in Jesus and the proclamation of His name. My afflictions have served that purpose. So I rejoice. I think Don Carson gets it pretty clear here. He comments on this passage. Paul's example is impressive and clear. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputation, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. What are your aspirations, Ben? To make money? To get married? To travel? To see your grandchildren grow up? To find a new job? To retire early? None of these is inadmissible. None is to be despised. The question is whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central aspiration is squeezed to the periphery or choked out of existence entirely. So drawing to a conclusion here. Have you been struggling in your joy? Have you been overwhelmed with your circumstances? 
Paul offers no trifling remedy. Brothers and sisters, our passion for the advance of the gospel should override all. Look at your personal obstacles the way Paul does. They're opportunities for gospel advance. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Let God shine His gospel through you. Do we prioritize prioritize the gospel such that we prize its advance, whether from us or from others, in ease or in suffering? Is the gospel first? If you were wondering, back uh, a few verses, what is the word that the bold brothers spoke in verse 14? Believers, I want to wash you with that word and inflame your hearts once again with it. And unbelievers, if you're an unbeliever in here, hear it. Receive it. Believe this for yourself. The word that the bold brothers speak is the word of the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and like Ben Catterson. The word, the good news, is that you can be saved from your sin if you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, paid your sin debt by His death on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, rose again from the dead so that you could rise to eternal life with Him and be with God forever. Here's an application for you as we close. And this is a personal challenge as well. Read about those who have suffered for Christ and let their testimony spur your heart. I remember reading about Jim Elliott as a young man. Uh, the, the, um, the book Shadow of the Almighty by uh, his wife Elizabeth Elliott. And it chronicles his desire for missions, his road to missions, and his death at the hands of those who's trying to share the gospel with. And I fell in love with missions reading that. Read the stories of believers who suffered for the name and let it spur you. Review and revel in the gospel daily. Refresh your reading. Refresh your your prayer. Refresh a, a, a repetition of the gospel. What has He done for me? What have you done for me? Practice and present the gospel persistently. Don't be pushed over by fear. Push back and persistently present it. Practically, join a Barnabas team. Pray for our global partners and hear how the the gospel is advancing globally through our prayers. Pray asking God to show you the opportunities that He has for you and take them. Here's a a very practical one to put on your calendars. On October 19th, we're having a, a global focus kickoff. And our aim is to equip you for this kind of thing, for gospel advance. When you see information about it, read it, sign up, and come. 
I think the, the main thing, the main thing, look at the Savior. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look at Him. Look and revel in what Jesus has done for you. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. So my, my prayer, let, let, me, let me just pray. Father, You know my heart, You know our hearts. You know my prayer is that we will have seen Your servant Paul and his overriding passion for the advance of the Gospel. And by seeing that, see You more clearly and be set free to rejoice in it ourselves. Set us free, Lord. Set us free and send us into the world, into our families, into our neighborhoods. Maybe there's some here who are hearing this and saying, I've got to go. I've got to go. Tell, you, tell others about You. Do it, Lord. Give us an overriding passion for the advance of the Gospel. I pray Father, in the name of Jesus Christ who came and suffered and died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.